All right, everyone have a seat. Let's get into God's word together. So glad to see all of you. If you're live streaming this morning, welcome members, regular attenders, visitors. We love you and we're so glad that you can hear what I'm saying now. We love you very much. <laughs> we do. We love you very much. Uh, I emailed you this week that today's sermon is about rest. And I told you can't bring a pillow, but I brought a pillow because I break the rules and I'm a jerk like that, all right? How am I doing on the word-for-word word thing right now? This is all, okay, okay. Um, and you may have already picked up on, because you know who we talk about here, we talk about Jesus, that we're not talking about sleep kind of rest this morning, right? Vanessa didn't sleep well last night, so I told her she can maybe take a nap during this sermon, but that'd be a bad example to all of you, especially in the front row, that'd be very depressing for me. So anyway, um, we are talking about rest that comes from the Lord today, amen? It's a deeper rest, a soul rest, but because I love you, I thought it would be important to give you the top three ways that you can get actual physical rest, better actual physical rest, okay? Just because, you know, you are loved, and I did a Google search on your behalf. Okay, so here we go. Sleepfoundation.org gives these top three ways to improve your rest. Number one, this is sleep rest. This is pillow rest, sheets, thread count rest, all right? Man, we're in the intro and I'm out of breath. All right. Number one, create a sleep-inducing bedroom. It's important. Number two, optimize your sleep schedule. I think they just wanted to use the word optimize. And number three, create a pre-bed routine. Right, so how many of you are doing that? Let's do those things and get good sleep. God created us and designed us to sleep for one third of our lives, so those are things to do. Some of you are taking feverish notes. This is what I got. I got to figure this out. All right. So today we're talking rest and deep rest. And this passage today from Hebrews 3, verse 7 through 4, verse 13, gives us a rest that is better than sleep. And I'm not saying that in like an infomercial sort of sense, like listen to the rest of what I'm going to say and I'm going to try to trick you through this, right? This is real, that you can have a rest that is better than sleep, that is deeper than sleep, and it's a soul rest. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about next. And it's amazing that this comes next in our passage, in our walk through this book of Hebrews. Very quickly, he's talking about rest and what happens for the believer in the Lord as we rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So... Someone asked me, how many times is the word rest used in this passage? It's great. That's great. Uh, 15. 15 times in this passage the word rest is used. So for sure, the subject this morning, and God is talking about this type of rest that every human craves and can have. Like you today, if you're not resting in the Lord, you can walk out of here today resting in the Lord. And that's the goal of this passage in this moment this morning together. So the big idea is hold fast to the rest provided by God. All right? Hold fast to the rest provided by God. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Top three things to do to rest in the Lord as we work our way through this passage. Here's the first one. Hold your confidence in Christ. All right? How do you rest? How do you rest in the Lord? Number one thing that the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to give to us, is hold your confidence in Christ. Okay, from verses 7 through 19. So look at verses 7 through 11 first. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit 
says, and remember, anytime we have centered text in the book of Hebrews, we see that that is a quote from the Old Testament. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And they said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Right? That is, that is a heavy passage, right? So we're seeing this is quoted from Psalm 95, Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, which is convenient because this is Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. And this psalm is quoted five times in this one passage. So the author of Hebrews is taking this psalm and he's really applying it to modern life, to the lives of us as believers. And he's looking forward. So here's the context. The people of God in the book of Exodus had just been delivered by God from their enslavement to the country of Egypt and to Pharaoh, right? You remember the story. There's Moses and he's yelling, let my people go. And Pharaoh's heart is hard and God is sending 10 plagues. And then eventually they get out of there. But immediately the the people of the, the chariots and the soldiers of Egypt are sent after them and they're pinned at the Red Sea and God splits the Red Sea and they walk through the Red Sea and It's an amazing, amazing section of God's word, but with sobering quickness. The people of God rebelled against God, so much so that the Holy Spirit called that period of time the rebellion, right? As we see here in Psalm 95 quoted there in verse 8. Examples were, God was providing quail, but it's like they wanted chicken nuggets. Right? Like what God was giving them wasn't good enough. Right? There's chicken literally falling from the sky. Right? Some of you are going to be like, it's quail, not chicken. Right? Yeah. All right. God was working miracles. Like he says in this passage of Psalm 98, he was working miracles, but what were they doing? They were mumbling about their leaders. God's doing this amazing thing, but Moses. And then God was leading them by a pillar of fire. How awesome would that be? Lord, where do you want me to work? What job would you like me to take? Where would you like me to go to college? What car should I get? What All of these things. Pillar of fire taking you to that place, right? You just follow. God is literally leading them by a pillar of fire, yet their hearts grew cold. They had moved from resting in God to a sleepy faith, which isn't faith at all. They had become kind of big event followers of God. We want the big event. We want the manufactured emotion. We want all of these things. But the day-to-day walking with God, they never figured out. They saw God as miracle God, deliver God, all of these things. But the day-to-day, they never really walked with the Lord. They never figured that out, that the Lord wants a relationship with us. And that's what rest in him is, right? And I hope you're with me on this. I don't want us to be called the rebellion, amen? 
Are you with me? Just give me like a hearty, yeah. We don't want to be called the rebellion. We want to walk with God. We want relationship with God. We want to rest with God. So how can we prevent sleepy faith and instead rest in God? How can we prevent sleepy faith and instead rest in God? And and the Bible gives us three answers in this passage. The first one is guard your heart and keep it above all things. As the Proverbs say, guard your heart. Verse 12, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now remember, Hebrews is written to Christians, just like this moment. People in the Lord, people who know Jesus. But there's a risk that we could fall away from the living God, that we could wander. Our hearts are prone to wander. So how do we prevent that? We guard our hearts versus thinking that we're untouchable versus thinking that we got it all figured out. The second thing is we encourage one another from verse 13. It says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This word exhort is a really great way of saying encourage. It means point people toward the things of the Lord. It means, hey, this is you and this is you in the Lord and live that out. It's placing that vision in front of people so that they can follow the Lord. Encourage one another versus grumbling and negativism, right? That's, that's really what they were accustomed to. That was their public discourse back in the day when they were in this rebellion time. They were grumbling, mumbling, negative all the time. And the author of Hebrews is saying to us, rather encourage one another, exhort one another. And the third is hold our original confidence. Hold our original confidence, meaning our confidence in Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says, for we have come to share in Christ. Not meaning like you have come to Christ, but we as a people are individuals who've come to Christ, who've gathered, and now we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So there's this thought here in this passage, right? We come to Christ and that's not the end of our relationship with God. It's not like a one and done thing. We hold our confidence in him to the end when we're with the Lord and we see him face to face. So hold our original confidence in the midst of all the waves of life, in the midst of all the different circumstances that are gonna affect us. We hold our original confidence and never forget it. Now, there's something super important to look at in this passage. Notice that these things, guard your heart, encourage one another, hold our original confidence. These are things that are both personal and congregational projects. Do you see that? All of them have a personal responsibility that each of us need to have and a congregational responsibility that we all need to share. We each need to be tending to our own souls and keeping watch over one another's souls. Loving each other, telling one another what's up, and getting help having our own personal meetings with God and then meeting in small groups together as all of us do to encourage one another, help one another, guard our hearts and hold our original confidence. So I just want a quick plug. Like if if you're not in a small group yet, if you're not on a serving team yet, if you're not regularly plugging into the things of God in this church, do those because it will help you hold your confidence in Christ. And then look at these next few verses that substantiate that we are susceptible to a sleepy faith. I don't think any of us are kind of naive enough to say, no, I'm good. This isn't going to happen to me. This would never happen to me. Right? Like, I mean, I know they saw the Red Sea split, but I would never have done what they did and be called the rebellion, right? So the author of Hebrews just gives us 
multiple question after question here. Verse uh, 15, it says, As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So are you hearing his voice today? Is your heart hard? And then look at this. Verses 16 through 19 are six questions back to back. The first question is answered by the second question, and then there's a, another question that's answered by the question that follows that, okay? All of this is to substantiate that all of us are susceptible to loosening our grip on Jesus. It says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Meaning like, these people saw God do amazing things and they still rebelled. Verse 17, it says, And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And then look at verse 18 and 19. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were what? Disobedient. Man, that is a heavy verse. It's just right, it's like cutting right at us. So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. And that is a really important, clarifying word for us as we continue in this passage. Those verses are sobering, and here's why. God had delivered them and gathered them, yet they didn't enter the rest of God because of what? Because of unbelief. God had done all these amazing things before them, for them, and they never placed their faith in God. They placed their faith in God to do things, but they never placed their faith in God to be for them Savior and Lord. And that is a big difference. That is a big difference, right? And this is a warning to us. When life feels like we're kind of wandering, <laughs> 2020 feels like that to a lot of us. We're like, all right, we go this way. What? We're just wandering, right? Wandering back and forth. We're not sure which way is up. We're not sure what tomorrow is going to be like. We're not sure what next week is going to be like. When we're reading the news more than we're reading God's word. When life feels slow, like I saw this past week that it marked the five-year mark of 2020. Like we've been in 2020 for five years now, right? Like when life feels slow, what do you do, right? That's tempting. That's mundane. It's like, oh my goodness, keep going. Can you walk with the Lord in the day-to-day? Can you hold your confidence in Christ when everything else is just like, what is going on? When we're literally doing this all the time, can you hold your confidence in Christ? Can we rest in him when everything else is not at rest? Can we do that? And that's the warning this is giving us. Hold your confidence in Christ, and God graciously gives us some further how-tos in this passage. Here's the second one, and this is very, very important. We've already touched on it a little bit. The second thing is this. Unite your hearing with believing. Unite your hearing with believing. If everybody that's ever heard the good news of Jesus would do this, there would be billions more people who are saved. But so many people hear it and they don't believe it, meaning they've come short of being saved. They've heard the good news, but they've done nothing with it. They haven't placed their faith on Jesus. So look at verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, that's so hopeful, right? Like if you're here today and you're not saved or you're here today and you are just away from the Lord, but you're in the Lord, the promise of entering his rest still stands. 
opportunity, right? Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Do you see that? They heard the good news. They heard the promise of God, but they didn't unite their faith to that good news. They didn't place their hope in God in a personal way. They heard it, but they never believed it. So I want to show you this amazing picture. This is a picture that Clara Reed, one of our kids in the church, drew, and her parents wonderfully sent this to me. They share with me amazing things that their kids are regularly drawing. So this was in response to the the passage at the beginning of Hebrews 2, where that, that was the first warning passage, and that warning was, if you remember, don't drift. And so little, sweet, wonderful, loves to hug me, Clara Reed. She is the sweetest. She drew this picture, and notice, you see the hand of God holding back people from drifting? Do you see that? How old, is, how old is Clara? Clara is five. And she sees that God's hand keeps us from drifting. She's hearing the word and she's applying it to paper, drawing who God is and what he does for us. How beautiful is that? Praise God that the next generation is hearing, amen? And we all have a part of that, like, helping one another with the next generation to raise up a people that love God and see him for who he is and what he's doing. So the first warning in Hebrews is don't drift. And the second one in this passage is don't disbelieve. All right, don't drift. And then the second of five in the book of Hebrews is don't disbelieve. And that's what we have here in this passage. Don't disbelieve. Meaning, it's possible to hear the good news, but not believe the good news. For instance, the gospel, meaning the good news, is that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of sin so that by believing in him, we would be saved. But many, many people on this planet would say, I have heard that. I've heard the good news. But all of us know that hearing the good news does not equal believing the good news, right? You can hear that. All of us have shared the good news with many, many people, but we know that if they come short of placing their faith in that, believing that, then they've come short of salvation, right? So the difference in this is when people say, Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for my sin, and you insert the personal pronoun, not because you're trying to impress people with Christian lingo, but because you believe it. He came to pay the penalty of my sin. And I've believed in him. And by my believing in him, I am saved because of what he has done for me. It becomes personal. So many people are familiar with the things of God, but do not unite faith and believing with hearing. And that is damning. It means your eternity isn't set. It means you're not gonna enter God's rest, meaning the future heaven. And it also means you can't rest now. You're still gonna be restless. You're still gonna be unsure. And so you've got to unite belief with your hearing. I think what happens a lot of times for Christians is over time, we can kind of get unpersonal or depersonalized in our walks with the Lord, right? We come to Christ. 
a lot changes in our lives. We're like, wow, I believe this. This is so good. I'm learning who I am, what I'm designed to do. I have purpose in this world. My worth comes from God, not from me, not from my performance, all of that. And you grow and your growth tilt is like this. You're just going, but then over time, you get familiar with the things of God. Your life has changed, the big things, and you start to plateau. And then over time, you're like, I don't know if I need God so much. And you're not naturally saying that, like, I don't need God, but you're like, I can, I'm just going to operate on my own. And you start to plateau or maybe dip. And maybe that's what happened to the people of Israel in Exodus, as we see. Maybe that's what's happening to us. We're like, I got to figure things out. So much is happening. There's so many question marks in life right now. Let me try to scratch through all of those things as possible so that I can lead myself, my things, my family, my loved ones during this crazy year, during this crazy environment that we're in. Depersonalization is a risk. And so the question then is, are we hearing the Lord and believing him on a daily basis? So what I want to give you and what really what the author of Hebrews gives us is what rest looks like, what biblical rest is and the rest that he is offering to us. And there's three things, all right? Here's the three ways to rest. Here, in fact, it's not the three ways to rest, like pick one. It's all three, okay? When God is talking about rest in the scriptures, here's what he's going for. Number one is we rest in the creator. It's you rest in the creator. Well, what does that mean? Verses three and four, it says, for we who have believed enter that rest. So reassuring, right? You're going. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, meaning others who have not believed, although his work His works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So here, the first rest is rest in our creator. All right, let me just tell you something really cool. Like, no one right now is shoveling coal into the sun to make it burn hot. Because God created the sun and it works on its own and it does its thing and it baffles all of us. No one understands how that works except that we have an amazing creator who did that. I was listening to a sermon this week and it's like, it, it pictured God like creating. He hits an anvil with a mallet and sparks fly everywhere and those are stars, right? Like in God's terms. All of that stuff works. Everything is orbiting. All of that, all of that. So we believe that God is creator, but do we rest in the fact that he's creator? That he's got the whole world in his hands. Can you rest in that? Especially those of us who feel like we're, like our lives are a, are a pyramid of marbles and we got to hold it together or else it's just going to all spread out and then we have to regather it, right? Can we rest from anxieties and worry because we know that God's got the whole world in his hands. Literally, he's our creator. And listen, we as Christians have the privilege of knowing that and so many other people don't. And we do, we know God is creator, Genesis 1 and 2, and that puts us to rest, rest in the creator. I know many of us are so relieved. We just go on a 30-minute walk and we look at the trees and the sky and we're like, yes, God made that. Get me away from my screens for a minute and my work and just let me stretch my eyes and see the Lord and walk with him, right? So the question is, you believe God is creator, but do you believe that God's got the whole world in his hands? Second thing is we rest in confession. Maybe this one surprises you a bit, right? Rest in the creator, rest in confession. Look at verses five through seven. It says, and again, in this passage, he said, 
they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, so hopeful, so opportunistic today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We church can rest in confession. We can rest in confessing our sins before the Lord. We know from 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen? We can rest, therefore, in confession, knowing that our sins are paid by Jesus Christ. So if you have sins and that you haven't confessed, confess them before the Lord. I think of Psalm 91 or maybe it's Psalm 32, one of those two, like the great Psalms about David confessing his sins. And he says, my sins were within me and my bones ached because I hadn't confessed them to the Lord. Confess your sins to the Lord and rest, knowing that he's paid the penalty of those and he welcomes you and he wants you to confess them, right? So you know that we can confess. The question is, have you confessed today and do you do it every day, believing that he's forgiven you of those sins? All right, here's the third one. And this is the one you probably expected, I hope. <laughs> rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. So we got rest in the creator, rest in confession, rest in Christ. Here's verses eight through 10. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So here's the thought there, right? Like, Joshua led them into the promised land. Some people thought, we'll rest once we get to the promised land. The promised land is rest. But was that ultimate rest? No way. Like, there's no place on this earth that's full rest. There's no country. There's no time on this earth that's rest. Even heaven isn't fully understood as rest. What's fully understood as rest is Jesus Christ, our Lord, seeing him face to face, being with him. That's ultimate rest. So verse 9, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is really great. So we know the promised land wasn't rest. And then we think about, okay, the Sabbath day. Already referenced up in the paragraph a little bit that God rested on the seventh day. So the Hebrews, the Jews would understand that we are currently living in the seventh day times, like in the rest of God. He's made creation happen. It's working. We need to bear his image by resting in him as our creator. We need to bear his image by resting one day a week and focusing on him. But we recognize even then that this passage and ultimate rest doesn't come in one day a week. It doesn't come in the Sabbath. Jesus said the Sabbath was for man, not for God, meaning we don't worship God as some way to get to him and earn our salvation by keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us because God designed us to need to rest and to focus on him one out of seven days in a particular way. So here, it's not the promised land that's rest. It's not a Sabbath day that rests. So what is it? It's us resting from our works, not like our jobs, but our works meaning us trying to earn salvation on our own by the way that we live. And how is that possible? It's because Jesus finished that work for us. He fulfilled all of the promises, all of the patterns of the Old Testament, all the requirements of the law. He fulfilled that so that we can rest before God and have a saving relationship with him. So question is, you believe Jesus as Savior, 
Do you trust him as your savior? You believe him as your savior. Do you trust him as your savior? Like you can rest. When life is great, when life is bad, when life is ugly, you can rest knowing that Jesus is your savior. Now, those of you who know your Bibles well are probably thinking of this verse in Matthew 11, this amazing passage by Jesus. And here it is, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we hold fast, we hold on to the confidence that we have in Jesus, right? And we unite our hearing with believing. And then the third way to rest is we open your life to let God in, right? The third and final here in this passage. Open your life to let God in. Here's 11 through 13. Closing down this section on rest, an amazing close by this preacher, the author of Hebrews, he says, let us therefore strive, interesting word, right? In a passage about rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What are your inner thoughts? And what are your sins? And what are you restless about? And just know that on all of those, inner thoughts, your sins, what you're restless about, that God already knows all of those things. He already knows all of them. And he uses his word to penetrate deep to get to those things, to show you himself and to show you yourself. But what happens so often is we know those things and we kind of hoard those things or we try to hide those things. And where you really can experience rest is when you open your life and let God in. And just say, God, here's my inner thoughts. Here's my sins. Here's what I'm restless about. And you have a relational interaction with the Lord. And you're reading his word. And maybe it's his word that points out a sin that you didn't know was a sin. Maybe it's its word that reminds you of who you are in Christ. Maybe it's his word that shows you what Christ did for you. And you're reading and you're reading your word every day, the word every day, and you're like, oh man, this is exactly what I need for today. And you think, oh yeah, God's real, God's alive, he's personal with me. So many people, y'all, are not at rest because we're not opening our lives to let God in. And that's what we gotta do to rest. 
we got to open our lives to let God in. We know that God's word is his voice written down. We want to hear his voice, right? We want to hear his voice. God, show me what to do. It's, it's written down. Who he is, who we are, it's written down. And it allows us to have ultimate rest in God. So listen, if you're here and you're, you're not reading the word right now, you're not walking with the Lord right now, I would encourage you, just restart, like kickstart or read the gospel of Mark, right? 16 chapters, it's punchy, it's about Jesus. Read a chapter a day or a paragraph a day or whatever and find somebody else in this church to talk about that with for the next little while. Get in God's word and learn who he is, right? Get the Kickstarter going. Again, maybe you're just away from it because this year is so weird. Like we're just trying to keep up with whatever's going on, right? I just think God in his sovereignty might have this passage for us today to serve us in a time where we want to keep faithful to him and not be called the rebellion. So we're going to close with communion in just a second. And here's how I want to frame our reflection time. We do communion. We give you time to reflect so that you can pray, just you and the Lord. So here's how I want you to think. Here's what questions I want you to be thinking about. Number one is, have you heard God's voice and entered the rest that Jesus provides? All right, this is a salvation question. Have you heard God's voice? Have you heard his good news? You've heard it with your ears. Maybe you've heard it just now, but you've never placed your faith in the Lord for salvation. Today is the day. Notice how many times the word today is used in this passage. No matter how rebellious you are, how far gone you think you are, today can be the day of salvation. Confess your sin before the Lord and your need for the Savior, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Right? Today can also be the day where you've just kind of been restless or you've been sinning or you've been disobedient or you've got all of these inner thoughts and you're just wandering, right? Today's the day where you can come back. So are you restless? And if so, why? Maybe it's sleepy faith. Maybe it's disbelief, like we saw. Maybe it's disobedience. Maybe you're away from fellowship. Maybe you're thinking that it's all on you. Maybe you're not taking in God's word. All of those things could contribute to some level of restlessness. Today, you can come back. And then, for sure, there's people here that are really resting in the Lord. Your hope is in Him. Your confidence is in Him. You're thinking about Him. You're walking with Him every day. And that's beautiful. And keep that up. And keep holding on to our confession, holding on to that original confidence and keep applying belief to what you're hearing from the word, right? And keep opening your life to let God in. So let's reflect on those. Personal time of prayer for a few moments, and then I'll lead us in communion.